How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? How many know that God is good? And all the time. Uh, I have one quick announcement to make before I get into the message. My book, A Path Through Through Mighty Waters, uh, the printed version of it was available, uh, but sold out at the end of first service. Sorry, I ran out. I sold all of them. Can you believe that? Uh, So you cannot get a copy of it today. I think, did we sell the last two or is there two left? They're gone. Yeah, they're gone. So, uh, however, I'll have more printed by next Sunday. Uh, So if you did not get one, please forgive me for not having enough available for you. Uh, I will have more next Sunday, and uh, 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 you can get that. Also, for those of you who did get the book, A Path Through Mighty Waters, and even those of you who didn't, uh, I started a new blog, a paththroughmightywaters.blogspot.com, and at that blog, I do a daily devotion every morning by 6 a.m. It's up. So if you want a daily scripture to meditate on and a daily devotion, a thought for the day that will start you off in your walk with God, you can go to www.apaththroughmightywaters.blogspot.com, and uh, I'll have a daily meditation there for you every single morning by 6 a.m. Uh, it will be up, and uh, it's 13 days into January already, and uh, that blog has gotten more than 12,000 hits already. Nobody's excited about that. Well, I don't know about you, but to me, that's tremendous. That's almost, almost 1,000 people a day are coming to get a daily devotion uh, and, to, and to just walk through the day. And, uh, people are posting comments. And so what I really want to do is build community around these, med- these meditations so that you can share what you're experiencing. You can ask any questions you're having. If you're struggling and you need some encouragement, you can write, say, look, I'm trying to do these meditations, but I can't seem to do it. Our goal for this year is to learn how to meditate on the word of God day and night. And just like uh, physical training requires community, you know, if, if, you're, if you have weight loss goals this year and exercise goals this year, the first thing they teach you is to build a community around that goal. You know, don't try to do it all by yourself in, in your closet. That's why they say join a gym, get a personal trainer that meets you once a week, or get a buddy, a partner, say, hold me accountable to be at the gym at this time, you know, at our appointed time. Building community, it brings encouragement. And so that's what I want to do on this blog is build community around the commitment to meditate on God's word day and night, to learn how to meditate on God's word day and night so that it's not just you by yourself trying to be spiritual six days a week and getting a little spiritual shot on Sunday morning. We need more than that. What tends to happen, do you know what an inoculation is? An inoculation is when they give you just a little bit of a disease. It's just enough for your immune system to kill it and then strengthen itself against it. Inoculations, they don't do it so much anymore, but they used to do it back in the day before they had vaccines, certain vaccines for diseases. And they would, you know, like smallpox, they would give you a smallpox inoculation. What they really did was give you just a little bit of smallpox, just enough to infect you with it, but the, the infection would be so weak that your immune system would kill it, and then your immune system would, would fortify itself against that disease. And so now you won't catch the disease, but you had to get a little bit of it in order to become immune to it. Well, what tends to happen is people get inoculated with the gospel. You got just a little bit of Jesus, just enough to make you lukewarm. And just enough to make you cold-hearted and apathetic towards the gospel. I always wondered why uh, kids that I grew up with, I went to a Christian school all my life, and we heard the gospel every single day. I mean, we were forced to sit in chapels and go to Bible classes and go to Friday night services and had spiritual emphasis weeks and had special speakers. I mean, we heard the gospel every day. But yet at the end of it, only a handful full of us continued to walk with the Lord after we graduated high school. And I run into so many of them over the years, and I'd say, 
How is it that you don't walk with the Lord? I mean, it's not like I need to preach the gospel to you. You heard the gospel a million times. How is it that you never responded to that? I mean, you never had a real relationship with Jesus Christ in all of those years after hearing the gospel. And they were just, I don't know. I just never, I just never got into that. It was just never my thing. This is that. You know what happened? You got inoculated with the gospel. You got inoculated because you came and heard it, but you never made a decision to jump all the way in. Listen, let me tell you today, you need the full infection. You need to get infected with Jesus in a bad way. You need more than inoculation. We need to give you a full dose of Jesus. But listen, you've got to allow it. You've got to give your arm to the gospel and say, give me a full dose of this thing. I want more than an inoculation. I want more than just giving Jesus a try. Listen, it's not about giving Jesus a try. It's about giving Jesus your life. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, give Jesus a try. Take him out for a test drive. Come on, somebody. It's all or none. You either make the jump or you don't. It's about making a decision to give God your undivided attention. We need more than just a little shot on Sundays. We need to walk with him seven days a week. And really, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. That means 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, walking and living with Jesus. And you know what? For the average American, even for the average American Christian, even for what we would call the average American mature Christian, that is not a proposition that sounds very attractive. But let me tell you something. God is raising up a new breed in the body of Christ today that are crying out in their hearts just a closer walk with thee. We used to sing this song when I was young, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, it's my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. I used to sit, sing that song and cry when I was just a little kid. Just a closer walk with thee. I want to walk closer with you, Jesus. I don't want to just hear about you. I want to hear from you. I don't want to just, I don't want to see pictures of you. I want to see you. I don't want to just hear sermons about you. I want to see your face and I want to stand in your presence. And God is raising up a new breed of Christian in these last and evil days. We say last and evil days, but let me tell you something that's getting ready to happen in these last and evil days. God is getting ready to pour out his spirit in a way that he never poured it out before. And the glory of this latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. God is getting ready to do something that he's never done before. And he is raising up a new breed. The question is, do you want in? The question is, do you want to be a part of it? And I'm not talking about just being a part of this church because it's far bigger than a church or a network or a denomination or any group. We like to, we like to, to gather around groups and networks and denominations and ministries and think if you're not a part of this, you're not a part of the in crowd. Let me tell you something. God is not looking for an in crowd. He's simply looking for a group across the world that is willing to open up their hearts to him and say, God, take all of me. I want you to have all of me. I want you to possess all of me, not just a part of me, but I want you to have all of me. And anyone who is willing to give Jesus their all, he's ready. He's standing ready for a life exchange transaction in which he gives you his all. And what God wants is for us to be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. God has that available for you even today if you would make a decision. And it's not about your age either. It's not about it's available to eighteen those 18 and older. It's not about being 21 and older. Listen, I'm telling you about a drink that you can drink from the time you're young. And it's not, and let me tell you something, it's, it's not, it's a strong drink. Let's put it that way. It's a strong drink, but you can drink it even as a child. I lay hands on my baby every day and pray that God would fill her with the Holy Spirit. You know what? I don't believe she's too young to speak in tongues. 
I don't believe she's too young even to prophesy. Because the scripture says that out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have perfected praise. I want to see God perfect praise. And God promised that in the last days, he would pour out his spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters would prophesy. He said, your young men and your young men, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And upon his servants and handmaidens, he will pour out his spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then he'll show signs in the heavens above and wonders on the earth beneath. Let me tell you something. God is getting ready to visit us with signs and wonders, but our faith has to keep moving forward. And this is the key. The problem is that there has been a hesitation in the hearts and minds of the people of God. Instead of moving forward, we've been moving backward. We move backward because of disillusionment. We move backward because of fear of rejection. We move backward because you prayed for something 10 years ago and it didn't happen. And so now you're afraid to pray for anything else. Listen, it's time to put that behind you. It's time to put all of that stuff in the past and say, I don't care if I prayed for 10 years and it didn't happen. I'm going to pray again in the 11th year. God is raising up those with reckless Jobian faith that say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If I prayed, if I lay hands on somebody and they fall dead at my feet, I'm going to lay hands on the next person and pray. I'm telling you, I'm not giving up. I'm not turning back. I'm looking ahead. I've made a choice. I've made a decision. I'm moving forward in 2013. Now, we said that 2013, the theme for the year is a path through mighty waters. What we're really talking about is the year of advancement. God is making a path through mighty waters because it is time for you to advance. It's time for you to move forward. It's time, it's time that God removes the obstacles out of your way so that you can advance. And some of you have been wanting to advance and wanting to progress for years and even decades and haven't made any progress. But I'm saying that now it's time to advance. It's time to move forward. It's time to move forward. And it's time for you to take your place. Now, the body of Christ has been stopped for too long by things that should never stop us. We have been hindered by things that should never hinder us. We have been ruled by things that we're supposed to rule over. And we've been dominated by things that we're supposed to dominate. We've been defeated by things that we're supposed to defeat. But by the word of the Lord, I say no more. I say it is coming to an end. I say we're putting to death the things that have put us to death. I say we're defeating the things that have defeated us. And I say we're taking dominion over the things that have sought to take dominion over us. It's time for us to put our foot on the neck of the attack of the devil. It's time for us to determine in our hearts and minds that we are now going to fulfill the prophecy that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I'm telling you that God is raising up a standard against the enemy in these days. And he's saying no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up in judgment against you, you will refute. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Let me tell you something. It's your heritage. It's your right. It's your birthright. It's your inheritance. And God is raising up a group in the body of Christ that's saying, I'm taking my birthright now. I'm claiming my inheritance now. You have an unclaimed inheritance, but you're claiming it today. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, I'm fired up in my spirit today. I'm fired up in my spirit because I'm going places I've never gone before. The first 13 days of 2013. Hey, today's the 13th, huh? Let me tell you something. I'm breaking the curse off the number 13 right now in the name of Jesus. The first 13 days of 2013 have been the most dynamically spiritual, spiritual days of my life. I've met with God every single day. He's met me in the secret place. He's woken me up early in the morning and I find myself on my face in the presence of God and God is taking me in to deeper places. And I'm telling you something as the set man of the house, when God begins to take me deeper, that means he's taking all y'all deeper too. 
We are going somewhere. And I, I want to sound a trumpet today. I want to sound a trumpet today. I say that the spirit of Gideon has come upon me today that I might, that he's pressed a trumpet to my lips and commanded me to sound it. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. Judges, chapter 6, beginning at verse 33. Hallelujah. Mm. When you get there, say amen. Amen. And the anointing's too strong for me to wait for you, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. (laughs) Judges 6, 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34. Then... The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. I like it in the NKJV. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. It's a better translation. It's adversative. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet. And the Abiezrites gathered behind him. The Midianites and Amalekites gathered in the valley, but... The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. I want you to understand the significance of the transition between verses 33 and 34. A significant shift. Verse 33 is the work of the enemy, and verse 34 is the work of God. Verse 33, what did the enemy do? He sent the Midianites and the Amalekites, and they filled the valley of Jezreel, and later on the Scripture is going to tell us that they covered it like locusts. The sight of that army was so intimidating to the people of Israel that just taking one look at the opposition arrayed against them caused them to lose their breath. It caused them to drop to their knees in fear. The enemy came against Israel with such a visually stunning power of opposition that it caused the people of Israel to gasp and to marvel at the sight of what the enemy had done. Have you ever had a moment when the enemy came against you with such power that you stopped and were tempted to bow down before the sight of what the enemy did? I mean, it looked marvelous. It was huge. I remember a bully in the school that I grew up in. I remember showing up on the first day and looking at that guy one day and going, dang, he's hecka big. It's marvelous, but in a terrifying way, in a horrifying way. That's what the the, the devil did. That's what the enemy did. And in verse 34, God is going to respond to this tremendously mighty work of the enemy. God is going to respond To this awesome and incredible work of the enemy. And how does God respond? But the spirit of the Lord came upon one person. Doesn't that seem like a feeble response? That's all you got, God. The devil's got this huge army. And you got one anointed brother. Named Gideon. And by the way, he's the wrong person to anoint anyway. See, God... Needs a good human resources department. He always hires the wrong guy. I mean, if there's one weakness that God has, it's picking people to anoint. Think about it. The people he chooses, they're all messed up. Abram knew he was going to cheat on Sarah with with Hagar and have Ishmael and mess up the whole history of his people. Hmm? 
How about it? How about those 12 patriarchs? The first 10 of them were mutts. I'm serious. Levi and Judah go into the city and kill everybody because somebody messed with their sister. I mean, they went in with the swords and killed everybody. How about David? Bathsheba. How about Moses? Got a speech impediment. Stuttering problem. Says, go talk. You kidding me? The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon in the beginning of Judges chapter 6 and says, greetings, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's going to say, already, I don't think you're from God because you don't even know who I am. You got no discernment if you think I'm a mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. Really? Well, look at what happened. Well, look at what's happening to us. How's the Lord with us? The Midianites covering the, the, you know what the Midianites would do to the Israelites? They would let them till the ground. They'd let them sow the seed. They'd let them cover the seed over. They'd let them water the seed. They would wait for the crop to grow. And the night before the harvest, the Israelites are in the back sharpening their sickles. And they're going to go out and harvest the wheat the next morning. All of a sudden, they look out the window, and the Midianites come in and take the whole harvest and leave. It said Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And so what is Gideon doing? He's in a wine press threshing his wheat because he's scared. He's hiding from the Midianites. And there in his place of hiding, the angel of the Lord appears. You know, it's funny when people try to hide from God. The sooner you accept the fact that you cannot escape God, the better. Where are you going to run to? The Bible says Jonah set sail for Tarshish in order to escape God. Does that make any sense to you? Like God's not in Tarshish? He doesn't know where it is on the map? Even worse, Adam and Eve hid behind a bush. Like he can't see through a bush? What are you doing? Get, we're hiding from you. Can't see me. My two and a half year, my three and a half year old daughter does that. Puts a blanket overhead. Can't see me, daddy. I know where you are. The sooner you accept the fact that you cannot escape God, the better. The angel shows up in his hiding place. God loves to show up in your hiding place. Isn't it funny? Adam and Eve hid behind a bush, and, and God appeared to Moses in a bush. He was saying, you ain't hiding behind no bushes anymore. I'm in the bush now. <laughs> he said, I've taken over your hiding place. Gideon receives the calling, but not the empowerment. Go in the strength that you have and deliver Israel from Midian. He's got the calling, but not the empowerment. When you receive a call from God, but not an empowerment from God to fulfill the calling, it's a very frustrating thing. Because when God gives you a vision, it's big. Let me tell you something. You want to know whether your vision is from God or not. Let me just ask you one question. Can you do it in your own power? It ain't from God. If you say yes to that question, it ain't from God. Because God never gives you a vision that you can do yourself because then you don't need him. But if it's so big that it causes you to gasp, if it's so big that you feel like somebody punched you in the stomach when you received it from God, if it's so big that it frustrates the heck out of you because you don't know how to do it, there's a good chance it's from God. So Gideon gets this calling from, the, from God, and the angel tells him, go cut down your father's idol, his statue of Baal, cut it down, cut it in pieces, take your father's bull and sacrifice it on that altar to God. And Gideon thinks, but the people, the people are going to reject me. You know, people are scared to serve God because somebody might reject them. There are people saying all the time, but what if my friends find out I'm a Christian? Then they're going to persecute me. 
Then they're going to persecute me. Are they going to kill you? You want to know real persecution? Go back to the early church. Are they going to throw you in prison? Are they going to beat you with the cat of nine tails? No, but they might not like me. Well, get over it. Gideon says, we're going to do it at night so that nobody sees us because the people might not like us. The people might not like that. I'm sick and tired of Christians tearing down idols at night. Nicodemus, he came to Jesus by night. Nobody sees me going to Jesus, right? Too many undercover brothers in the body of Christ. You need to come out of the closet. Come on, somebody. God has no undercover agents. Does not have an undercover division. He has no secret service. No CIA. (laughs) So Gideon goes and tears down that idol. Turns it into an altar, takes his father's bull, cuts it up, puts it on the altar, and sacrifices it to God, and then bounces before anybody could see. The next morning, the whole city comes out, what? Who killed Baal? Listen, if, if you can kill your God, if somebody could kill your God, you got a problem. Who killed Baal? They went to his father, Joash, bring your son Gideon out. Somebody saw him through the window, and we know it was him. Bring him out. We're going to kill him for killing Baal. And Joash played a little Jedi mind trick on him. He said, if Baal is a god, let him contend for himself. And they said, you know, that's a good idea. Let Baal fight for himself. And so they named him Jerubbaal, which means contends with Baal. And they said, let Baal contend for himself. Now, all of a sudden, in all of this commotion, somebody says, look at the valley, guys. And they're like, hold on, I'm talking about Gideon. They said, no, forget Gideon, look at the valley. And they turn and look at the valley, and all of a sudden they see this huge army covering the valley like locusts. And everybody freaks out. Everybody loses strength. At that very moment, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. The same moment the valley was filling up with the enemy, the Holy Spirit was filling Gideon. Watch this. Now the people of Israel have two choices. They can look at the valley or they can look at Gideon. They can look at the work of the devil or they could look at the work of God. And at this moment, the work of the devil looks much bigger than the work of God. I'm tempted to just stay here. Look, God's anointing Gideon. Do you know how significant it is when God pours out his spirit on one person? When God pours out his spirit on one person, it's far more significant than the valley filling up with thousands and tens of thousands of soldiers from the enemy. But only the eyes of faith will see it. I wonder what Gideon looked like. It was obvious. It seems that the Spirit of the Lord came visibly upon him. There was some manifestation of the power of God. Maybe he quickened like they used to do in the Church of God in Christ. You know what I'm talking about? My grandmother used to get, ah! My grandmother used to do that. The Holy Ghost, for some reason, when the Holy Spirit would hit her, it was always a surprise. Even to her, ah! Never saw that one coming. Scared the death out of my wife the first time she saw it. My grandmother said, pray for my knee. Why is it that hurt? You know, it's, it's funny. Old black folks always got pain in the knee. Pray for my knee. My knee is hurting. And we put our hand on her knee and said, Lord, God, touch her knee. She said, yes, thank you. Ah! And my wife jumped back like, what in the world? She just got the Holy Ghost. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Maybe Gideon spoke in a tongue real quick. I don't know what it was. But somehow there was a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit on him. One man is getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's God's big response. 
It's as if God looked. Somebody said, God, don't you see what the devil's doing? Oh, where? Let me see. Oh, he's filling up the valley. What am I going to do in response? I got it. Where's Gideon? Bam! Take that, devil. You just see God sitting on his throne like. That was good, huh? Huh? Come here. Ain't dapping the angels. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know how we do it? You know how we do it up in here? Yeah, womp, womp. You see how I filled that one man with the Holy Ghost? Take that, devil. What do you think about that, Midianites? What God does almost never looks significant. It almost never looks significant except to the eyes of faith. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. It starts off so small. You say, what is that? It's just a mustard seed. Blow it away. It's nothing. No, but when you plant it in the ground and you water it, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. That's why the kingdom of God is like yeast. What is that? Well, this is bread. No, it's not. It's just a little, little cube. Yeah, but you mix it in with the dough and it works its way all the way through the batter and it causes that batter to rise. The kingdom of God starts out small. It always starts out insignificant. That's why Jesus was born in a manger, not a palace. It was only the eyes of faith that saw the kingdom of God in this child that was born. Only some wise men from the east that saw the star and rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Only some shepherds on the hillside that saw the angels and came and worshipped him, born king of kings and lord of lords it starts off small that's why jesus started with a band of 12 ragamuffin disciples that nobody else wanted rejected by every other rabbi didn't make no sense always saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing but jesus said don't worry just come follow me and i'll make you fishers of men come on somebody That's why Paul said that God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the strong. That's why he said he takes the base things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? There's one reason God does all of this, so that no flesh may glory in his presence. So that at the end of the day, nobody can look at it and say, I did that in my power. So that at the end of the day, we can say, there's victory because I'm strong. No, at the end of the day, nobody can claim God's victory. He said, my glory, I will not share with another. At the end of the day, we have to look and say, it was the work of God and not of man. Hallelujah. God anoints one man. One man. And this is what I call God's one man methodology. One man methodology. God operates out of the one man methodology. And this is very significant for us to understand because this story takes place in the time of the judges. The time of the judges was chronologically in between the age of Moses and Joshua and the age of the kings. In this interim period, Israel had no real government structure or leadership. Remember in the time of Moses, when Moses was about to die, he cried out that God would set a man over the house of Israel so that Israel would not be like sheep without a shepherd but after the death of joshua there was no set man over the house of israel and it said in those days israel had no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes so israel was in a very individualistic time its culture was individualistic does it sound familiar to you where everybody thought that they were the Lord over their own life and everybody thought they could make their own decisions and everybody thought they were qualified to determine their own way and their own path and and there was no law and there was no government and there was no rule and there was no safety and there was no security and there was there was all kinds of atrocities that happened during the time of the judges that would not be possible at any other time in Israel's history why because there was no structure there was no law 
What we see in the time of Joshua is that Israel always moved as one. The, the phrase all Israel appears 18 times in the book of Joshua. And all Israel camped at Gilgal. And all Israel came to war against Jericho. And all Israel made war with I. And all Israel, all Israel, all Israel, again and again and again through the book of Joshua. But when you get to the book of Judges, it's no longer all Israel. Now it's one tribe at a time or one clan at a time fighting this enemy and another tribe fighting that enemy and another tribe fighting that enemy because the devil knows that if he can divide us he can destroy us if he can get us fighting 15 different battles instead of one battle he leaves us vulnerable and he can destroy us and you know what's even worse is that in the time of the judges there were times when the tribes even fought each other let me catch my breath here hallelujah Mm. and so what was lost in israel during the time of the judges was god's one man methodology It was an individualistic culture. And here's the problem. In this individualistic culture, the idea was the rule of the people. The rule of the people. Do you know what one of the primary mottos of American culture is? E pluribus unum. (laughs) Don't need another. E pluribus unum. You know what that means? Out of the many, one. How many know that God's motto is exactly the opposite? E unum pluribus. Out of the one, many. When God gets ready to move, he does not call together a committee. He selects one man. When he wants to bring about a nation, he does not start with a company of peoples. He starts with one man. He started with a man named Adam and through him brought the human race into existence. And then when it was corrupted, he reduced it to one man named Noah and through him restored the Adamic promise, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and and subdue it. And when it became corrupted again, he reduced it to one man named Abraham and said, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And when famine threatened to destroy the earth, he reduced it to one man named Joseph and made him a prince of Egypt. And he spared the world from the the destruction that was coming through the famine. And when Israel became slaves in Egypt, he reduced it to one man and his name was Moses. And, And Moses is the greatest sign of God's one man methodology. Why? Because he was a lone survivor of an entire generation. Every other Jewish, every other Hebrew boy his age was put to death by King Pharaoh. And Moses alone was spared of that entire generation. Can you imagine being five years old and being the only five-year-old alive in your generation? The only five-year-old male. Can you imagine being the only five-year-old Mexican alive, Joseph, when you were five years old? I mean, can you imagine being 12 and looking for some other Mexican kids that are 12 and there's none? You're the only one. Moses is the only one in his generation. Why? Because God has to reduce it to one man before he can do anything significant. God does not start with the committee. He does not start with the council. He does not start with the community. He starts by giving a vision and a calling and a command to one man. And when God reduces it to one man, he doesn't tell anybody else about it. It's a secret. He appears to Moses in the burning bush. Moses? Here's what I need you to do. Go back to Egypt and tell the Israelites you're in charge. Well, God, are you going to tell them? Nope. No, wait, you, you didn't get it. It's like, um, 
I'm, I call Ray Ray. Ray Ray, come into my office after the service is over. I take him into my office. Say, Ray Ray, check it out. Me and my wife are going out of town for four, four months. We're leaving today. And I need you to pastor the church while I'm gone. It's like, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but how am I going to do that? Here's what I want you to do. Next Sunday, I want you to show up and walk up in the pulpit, take the microphone, and tell them you're the pastor now. Well, are you going to tell them? No, I'm not going to tell them. I need you to take the microphone and convince them that you're the pastor. So Ray Ray gets up Sunday morning. Ladies and gentlemen, I have an announcement to make. I am your pastor for the next four months. Well, what qualifies you to be your pastor? Pastor Benjamin told me I'm the pastor. He told me to tell you I'm the pastor. How do you feel right now? He said, Ray said, well, what if they don't believe me? Yeah, they're not going to believe you. <laughs> so what do I do? Work some miracles. I'm going to work some miracles. <laughs> so what miracles am I going to work? You got a stick? <laughs> Go look for a stick. <laughs> you know? Listen, listen this, this is what it's like. Moses shows up and eat. Uh, it said, and secondly, Moses, I need you, after you convince the Israelites that you're in charge, go stand before the king, King Pharaoh, and tell him you're in charge of his country. And tell him I said to let my people go, that they may worship me or else. And so Moses is thinking, you better tell them. No, 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 I'm not telling them nothing. You tell them, Moses. And so now you understand why Moses says, send somebody else. I'm not the right guy. We always read that passage and say, how retarded was Moses for not just agreeing with God? He was freaked out. God told him to take authority where he had no authority. How would you feel? We see Moses as coming in like Charlton Heston with the big rod. Elders of Israel, I am Moses. God has appeared to me. In the... He was probably like, uh, uh, hey, guys, I need to talk to you all. All right, check it out. Um, I saw God in a burning bush. You ever tell a story and you look at faces and you're like, nobody's buying this. <clears throat> I mean, you just know nobody's buying it. You're like, y'all don't look like you believe me. Look, um. All right, look, look at here. God came to me in a bush that was on fire and was not being burned, okay? <clears throat> and I came to see what in the world was going on when this bush was burning, and God spoke to me out of the bush. And he told me to go to y'all first and tell you I'm in charge of y'all. <clears throat> and then he told me to be your representative to Pharaoh, and command Pharaoh to let y'all go. And he promised me that if I stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go, he'll let y'all go. And they said, prove it. Do something. Show us something to prove it. He goes, okay, see this stick? Please work. Please work. <laughs> he throws it down. It becomes a snake. Picks it up. Becomes a rod. They said, yeah, all right. Oh, thank God. Step one is done. Oh, because I thought they were going to beat me. Because, see, the last time Moses tried to intervene, they said, who made you our ruler and judge? Then he goes to Pharaoh. He had some confidence now. Yeah. It worked with the elders of Israel. It's going to work with Pharaoh, too. Pharaoh! Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me. And Pharaoh says, no. Matter of fact, I'm going to double their workload. Bam! He said, 
wait, 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 no, 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 no. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. Something is wrong. Moses is thinking, no, this is wrong. He goes back to the elders and they're like, may God judge you for what you've done to us. Now he, the elders are mad. Pharaoh's mad. The people are mad. And Moses freaks out. He goes to the Lord, God, what'd you do to me? You told me that you'd deliver Israel. You haven't done that at all. And God goes, oh, I forgot to tell you one part. <laughs> it's not going to work immediately. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's not going to work for a long time. <laughs> You're going to be at this one for a while. Don't worry, it'll all work out in the end. But there's at least 10 more failures coming your way before this thing actually works. You really want to be Moses? How about the Virgin Mary? Mary, I have news for you. You're going to get pregnant. That's great to know because I'm getting married soon. No, you're going to get married before you. You're going to get pregnant before you get married. <laughs> oh, Lord, please, no. I don't want to be an adulteress. No, you're not going to be an adulteress. The Holy Spirit's going to make you present, pregnant. Come again. The Holy Spirit's going to make you pregnant, and the child you're going to bear is going to be the Son of God. Are you going to tell my family about this? Nope. Are you going to explain this to everyone so they all know that I didn't fool around? Nope. But people are going to think that, you know, I'm, I'm like a, a, a loose woman. Yep. Good luck with that. See ya. <laughs> when God begins to move, his work is almost always misunderstood. Except, except by the remnant of faith who is able to see by the spirit and know that something beyond the natural is going on here. Gideon is getting anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on him, he goes, I need a trumpet. Who's got a trumpet? I feel like blowing a trumpet. I got to blow it. Anybody got a trumpet? Where's the trumpeters? Where's the, nobody's blown a trumpet around here for years, for decades of trumpet. Gideon, do you really want to blow a trumpet? I need to blow a trumpet right now. Do you know what will happen if you blow a trumpet? Gideon, if you blow a trumpet, it means we're going to war. Are you sure you're ready to take that responsibility? The Spirit of the Lord just came upon me, and God said, blow a trumpet. And by God, I'm going to blow a trumpet. Somebody give me a trumpet. I need a trumpet. And he finally found an old dusty trumpet in a trunk somewhere came out and stood on a hill and he blew the trumpet now y'all didn't get it he blew the trumpet and he called israel to war he sounded the cry and called israel to war the trumpet is the announcement it is the prophetic word that calls the people of god to war suddenly gideon began to sound the trumpet and and release the prophetic cry that god is calling his people not to sit and look at the attack of the enemy but come to war and the scripture says that when he sounded the trumpet the abiezrites gathered behind him the abiezrites were the sons of abiezer Abiezer was the grandson of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the half-tribes. Manasseh was the son of Joseph. Remember, there is no tribe of Joseph because Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and each of them had a half-tribe. Manasseh was a half-tribe. Manasseh's grandson was named Abiezer. Abiezer is a compound Hebrew term, Abba Ezer. Abba means father. Ezer means help or helper. Abiezer's name means father of help. The sons of Abiezer's are the helpers. Follow me here. When, jo when Gideon blew the trumpet, the helpers gathered 
behind him. When he blew the trumpet, there was a company of helpers. And that company of helpers, they were sensitive to the moving of the Spirit of God. They were sensitive enough to look into the eyes of Gideon and know that they didn't just see the zeal of a man, but they saw the Spirit of the living God. The helpers, they had their ears in tune to hear the trumpet cry, and they knew that this was their moment to take their place. But they knew that until they heard Gideon blow that trumpet, they couldn't go to war on their own. They needed God's reducing it to one man. They needed God's one man to arise up in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when they saw that one man arise, they said, this is my time and this is my place. And we are entering into a season in the body of Christ when God is calling out the Abiezrites. But here is the thing. God is calling out the Abiezrites, but first he has to break the stigma of inferiority from over them. Because the Abiezrites have believed for too long that their ministry is insignificant. Listen, if you look at all the, the, the lists of spiritual gifts, the one gift nobody ever prays for were the two gifts nobody ever prays for is number one celibacy can i get a witness <laughs> i'm having altar call for those who are seeking the gift of celibacy just come right now i'm just gonna lay hands i can't impart it i ain't got it <laughs> Ooh. but the second gift nobody seeks is the gift of helps i've never seen anybody in their prayer call, oh god release the gift of helps into my life no you're praying for the gift of healing Working of miracles, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You're praying for the apostolic gift. You're praying for the office of the prophet. Those are the gifts that people seek in the body of Christ, not the gift of helps. And it's because you don't understand how powerful the gift of helps is. See, here's the thing. You don't understand that every gift that the Holy Spirit gives is only a manifestation of himself. The reason he gives the gift of healing is because he is a healer. The reason he gives the gift of prophecy is because he speaks those things which are not as though they were. The reason he gives word of knowledge is because he has complete knowledge over all things. And the reason he gives the gifts of helps is because he is a helper. You cannot belittle one of the gifts of the spirit without belittling a component of the character of the spirit. If you think the gift that the gift of helps is insignificant, then you think that aspect of the spirit's character is insignificant. But he doesn't give any insignificant gifts. He only gives gifts that are significant components of his own character and his own life. And God is accentuating the gift of helps in this last day because he's calling out a company of Abiezrites, but they know that they're Abiezer. They know they're Abiezrites. They know they're not Gideons. And they don't need to be Gideon. They're the sons of Abiezer, and they're the helpers. Now, let me, let me help you understand what a helper is before you get it twisted. Somebody says, is it a secretary? Well, the first thing I want you to know is that you cannot belittle the role of a secretary any longer. Amen. Here people say, well, I don't want to be the secretary. That's because you don't know how powerful a good anointed secretary is. <laughs> Do you know that every company in the world without a good secretary would fall apart? Do you know that the most powerful attorneys in the world would be nothing without their secretary? Their secretary holds it all together, orders things in their lives that would have fallen apart. There's not a single great man or woman who could do anything great without a good administrative person at their side to hold it together. Don't you dare belittle that role. I don't want to be nobody's secretary. Listen, somebody needs a good secretary. And even now, even in corporate America, the role of the secretary is being elevated because companies are beginning to realize how important administrative assistance is. But even in the church, it's a role nobody wants. 
I don't want to do administration. I want to do ministry. Let me tell you something. There's, there's almost no greater ministry than administration. Do you realize what God gave Adam when he saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone? Yes, a helper. He said, I'll make him an Ezer. Ezer. Abba Ezer. Abiezer. I'll make him an Ezer. God was the first Abba Ezer. He was the first father of help. He was the first Abiezer. And the first thing he wanted to give man, the first thing he wanted to, in, in, to place in the human race when he made man was help. Do you realize that you and I can't do anything without help? I don't care how anointed you are. You can't do it without help. I don't care how great your vision is. You need some help. I don't care how powerful your administration is. You need some help. And until the helpers take their place in the body of Christ, vision will not go forward. The kingdom will not be established. But when the trumpet sounded, the Abiezrites knew where their place was. And they assembled and said, Abiezrites, reporting for duty, Mr. Gideon. Help. You know what it means? It means a rescuer. That's what it means. It means a suitable rescuer. God said of Adam, I'll make him a rescuer. I'll make him a suitable rescuer. Why? Because he needs somebody to rescue him from his loneliness. Because yes, he's created in my image and likeness at all, but he's still a man. And how many know that men need some help? Hmm. Gideon sounded the trumpet and the Abiezrites assembled behind him. Now, after the Abiezrites assemble behind Gideon, he takes them to war. And what he does is he takes them up to the hill, but he's still scared to death. He needs one last piece of encouragement. And so God speaks to him and says, if you're still afraid to attack this army, here's what I want you to do. You and your servant Pura go down into the, into the Midianite camp tonight. And so he, he and his servant Pura, they sneak down into the camp and they come to the side of a tent, and they hear two soldiers sitting around a campfire talking to one another. And one of them says, I had a strange dream last night. He goes, really? What was your dream? He said, I had a dream that there was a big cornbread biscuit up on that top of the hill right there. Big old piece of cornbread. And that cornbread biscuit rolled down the hill, and there was a big tent in this valley. And that cornbread biscuit rolled down the hit, hill, hit that tent, and that tent collapsed. And the other one, all of a sudden, he got the Holy Ghost for a minute. And he prophesied, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. God has given the Midianite army into his hands. You know, when the devil starts prophesying to you, you know, <laughs> you know, when the devil starts telling you what God is getting ready to do to him through you. <laughs> it's kind of like when Jesus would meet the demoniacs and they would cry out, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. <laughs> you know, it's like when the lady with the spirit of divination cried out against Paul and his companions. These men are servants of the Most High God. You know, even the devil got to tell the truth in the presence of Jesus. He starts singing like a canary. Don't tell me to go because I got to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm defeated. I know I'm defeated. <laughs> you know, just send us into the pigs. That's what they say to Jesus. Did you come to torture us? We know you can torture us. You know what I mean? It's like he knows he's defeated in the presence of Jesus. Now Gideon has the encouragement and he has the empowerment and he has the vision. And now God's going to give him the strategy. And here's the strategy. I'm coming to a close. He goes back to the top of the hill. He gathers his 300 men. We didn't talk about how God had to reduce it from 32,000 to 300. You can read the story and get that later. I don't want this to be a two-hour sermon. (laughs) 
So Gideon gathers at the top of the hill with his 300 men, and he says, here's the strategy. He takes trumpets and gives each of them trumpets. He passes out 300 trumpets. Everybody gets a trumpet, and they're thinking, great. I'll hold a trumpet in one hand and a sword in the other. I don't know what I'm going to do with this trumpet. You know, hit a Midianite with the trumpet or something. You know, blow it in their ear. You know what I mean? Ah! That's what we're going to do. We're going to impair their hearing. (laughs) And we'll really win, you know. And then he hands them all torches inside of jars. There's jars over these torches. Jars over these torches. He says, here, everybody take a torch with a jar on top and take a trumpet. Put it in your hand. First thing that's significant about this, this started out with Gideon blowing one trumpet, and now there's 300 trumpeters. It always starts with one man. God's one-man methodology begins there, but it never ends with one man. God wants to start with one man, but through one man, he wants to reproduce to the many. That's why it starts with Abraham and then to the nations. It starts with one man, but it never ends with one man. And, and, and one of the big problems that happens in churches is that it starts with the vision of one man, but then 10 years later, there's still only that one man. If it starts with one man, there better be 300 trumpets and 300 hands within a few months. And you know what we do? You know, every time I preach the word of God, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting the trumpet in your hand. See, the problem with the body of Christ is people will sit and hear the set man of the house blow the trumpet, but they won't pick up their own trumpet. The question is, when you go out from this house, do you blow the trumpet that I give you, or do you just go out and say, oh, that was a good word? Let me tell you something. When you hear the trumpet sound, when you hear the word of God, you leave with the trumpet in your hand, and you better blow it wherever you go. Second thing, he gives them torches inside of jars. I had to pray for revelation on that. That didn't, that didn't make no sense. What is the torch and what is the jar? The jar represents vessels. The scripture says that we are jars of clay and God put a treasure on the inside. The torch represents the fire of God. And the problem is that that fire of God is already on the inside of you, but it's muted by the jar. That is, there is a flesh covering over the fire of God. And you feel like you're dry and you feel like there's no fire in your life. It's simply because that flesh covering, that jar is covering it. But Gideon said, everybody take these torches inside of jars and take these trumpets. And then he says this. Watch, we're, getting, we're coming to a close now. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to watch what I do. Well, well, you're going to tell us what to do? No, 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 no. You're going to watch what I do and do it. He put them in three different positions. He said, go to your positions and all of you watch what I do and do it. Watch what I do and imitate me. Let me tell you something, that God is shifting his modus operandi in the body of Christ. No longer will, no, listen, God wants to bring about a reproduction and an increase of the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon many lives, but it's no longer coming through impartation. Now it's coming through imitation. Listen, the days when you want to go to the ends of the earth to get some obscure man of God to lay his hands on you so you can get an an impartation is over. You know, I talk to people who say, I went to this country to get this man of God to lay hands on me so I can get an impartation from him. Then I went to this country and got this man of God to lay hands on me. I got an impartation from the following 28 people, and there still ain't no anointing on your life. You still haven't done nothing. You know why? Because you're getting impartations from many people, but you're not imitating anybody. And, G- and, and Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. God is restoring the ministry of imitation in the body of Christ. And when I'm talking about imitation, I'm not talking about religious cloning. Because there is, there is a lot of religious cloning in the body of Christ. 
You know what religious cloning is? You're not imitating the lifestyle of the man of God. You're imitating his gestures and his vocal inflections and his style of dress. You know, you go to a place where the pastor gets up and his associate pastors are dressed exactly the same way. And they get up to talk and they talk with exactly the same voice. And they use his inflections. Listen, just because you use my inflections doesn't mean you have my spirit. You don't have to look like me or say, what if I got up here and talk like Pastor Daniels every Sunday? Now, the spirit of the Lord wants you to know God is, mm, mm, God is doing a marvelous work in you. What if you're like, that's not you. Let me tell you something. He's my spiritual father, but he's not me. And I'm not him. I receive an inheritance from him, but the inheritance is not his vocal inflections. It's not his style of dress. It's not his haircut. It's not the kind of glasses he wears. It's, it's not the way he talks. You know what it is? It's when he gets on his knees to pray. It's his relationship with God. It's his holiness and his character. You know what I want to know? What time do you get up to pray? You know what I want to know? What are you reading in the scriptures these days? You know what I want to know? What's God saying to you? I want the spiritual stuff, not the natural stuff. I don't need to dress like you. I want to imitate you as you imitate Christ. You can tell the Abbey Ezraites in any body of Christ. You know why? Because they're imitating the lifestyle of the set man. The Pharisees are imitating his voice. The Pharisees are trying to dress like him, trying to get the same haircut. It's all external. But you know what the Abbey Ezraites want to do? Quietly, they're taking note of his way of life, and they're imitating his faith. Right? Isn't that what Peter said? Remember those who have preached the gospel to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Gideon says, watch me and do what I do. Watch me and do exactly what I do. You know what he's talking about? Discipleship. You're not a disciple because you got your name on a membership list. It's not about taking a test and putting a butt in the seat and a dollar in the plate. Watch me and do what I do. That's what Gideon says. Watch me and do what I do. You got the trumpet. You got the jar. You got the torch. Watch me and do what I do. And then Gideon goes to his place. They go to their place. All eyes are on Gideon. This is the trumpet. You ready? He blows his trumpet. Everybody blows their trumpet. All of a sudden, the Midianites hear 300 trumpets sounding. Why is this significant? Because whenever a nation went to war, they would blow one trumpet and call the entire nation together. If you hear 300 trumpets sounding, you think 300 nations are about to attack you. The Midianites hear 300 trumpets sounding in three different locations, and they think we are surrounded. They think there's millions of people. I mean, Gideon blew one trumpet and called 32,000 soldiers. When 300 trumpets are sounded, it's going to draw 96 million soldiers. What's 32,000 times 300? 96 million. The Midianites are thinking, we are surrounded by 96 million people. Let me tell you something. When God does something in one man to the enemy, it looks like 96 million. Second thing Gideon did. Take those torches. And break the jars. He breaks the jar. 
He breaks the vessels. Remember, the scripture says that we are jars of clay. And let me tell you something. I know many of you have been broken in many different places in your life, but God wants you to know that the reason he allowed your vessel to be broken is for the release of the fire that's on the inside because the fire couldn't be fully released as long as your vessel is intact. But now that God has allowed your vessel to be broken, now that fire is shining bright. And the moment those vessels were broken, the Midianites looked up and saw 300 torches surrounding them. Let me tell you why that's significant. Because soldiers don't carry torches. For about every thousand soldiers, maybe, there's one torch. You look and see 300 torches, you think at least 300,000 soldiers are surrounding you. The Midianites look up and they think, oh my God, there's 300 nations, at least 300,000 soldiers. We're surrounded. It's the end. Run for your lives. And the scripture says God threw them into confusion and they started killing one another. Now watch what Gideon does. Then he sends word to Manasseh and to Ephraim. He calls out the tribes and calls them to war. And all of a sudden, it's not a battle of one man. It's not a battle of 300 men. It's not a battle of a clan of Abiezrites. It's a battle of tribes coming together. God started by anointing one man. And that one man called out one clan. And that clan called out one tribe. And at the end of the story, two and more tribes are coming together to attack the Midianites and the Amalekites. And that nation obtained victory over their enemies. Why? Because God restored his one-man methodology. And because the Abiezrites had their ears open to hear the sound of the trumpet. Let me tell you something. By the word of the Lord, God is raising up a company of Abiezrites in this house. He's raising up a company of Abiezrites in this house whose ears are in tune to the sound of the trumpet. Let me ask you, are you going to get in that company? Are your ears open to hear that call and say, I'm going to show up. I'm going to stand in my place. I'm going to fall into line behind Gideon in this house. And listen, I'm telling you that the Abiezrites are about to take their place and they're about to move with power. The Abiezrites are about to take their place and every Abiezrite that comes into their place, God is putting a trumpet in your hand. He's putting a torch in your hand. And yes, your vessel's going to be broken. And some of you, your vessels were already broken. You just need to stand in your place and your fire is getting ready to shine. I'm telling you, God is exalting the ministry of the Abiezrites in this house. He's calling them out. He's anointing them with the Holy Spirit. He's putting a trumpet in their hands and he's putting a torch in their hands and we will have victory over the enemy. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Bow your heads right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on this house today. Thank you for the way you're pouring out your spirit. Thank you that you're doing a mighty work. Holy Spirit, just come right now and rest upon the Abiezrites. God, I've sounded the trumpet this morning as you commanded me to do. You promised that if I would sound the trumpet, the Abiezrites would assemble. And God, I declare that the Abiezrites, they're assembling right now. And they know in their heart who they are, too. They're assembling. They're coming into their places right now. Lord, as they come into their places, put your spirit on them right now. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just be released throughout this house, released throughout this congregation, that you would just begin to touch, strengthen, encourage. I break the back of that inferiority complex that you've been carrying for so long. You think I'm just not significant. Some of you are here and you say, I just don't know what my place is. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know. I don't feel significant. Let me tell you something. You are more significant than you know. But what's my place? What's my role? Let me tell you what your role is. Your role in your place is to fall in line with the Abiezrites. Say, I'm going to help. I'm going to be a rescuer. I'm going to be a helper. You know, every time you help something, what you're doing is rescuing. 
Something would have happened if you weren't standing in your place. And every time you're not standing in your place, something is happening. And in this hour, God is anointing you to hold the trumpet and to sound the cry. He's even putting a prophetic call in your mouth. He's putting an anointing on you even to call more Abiezrites. But it starts when he gives you the eyes of revelation to begin to see that even a little thing that God does is far more significant than a big thing the devil does. The problem with us is we tend to look at big things God does and think they're less significant than little things the devil does. Big thing, God saved me. Little thing, I'm kind of broke this month. And I stop rejoicing in the big thing and start freaking out over the little thing. God wants to give you so much faith that you're not moved by even the big things the devil does because you can see the little things God does. Little thing. God can do a little thing, just a little thing. It's just a little mustard seed blessing. You're going through a terrible financial time. Somebody walks up to you and just puts $10 in your hands. I just want to bless you with this. You see that little thing and you just begin to rejoice. So I know it's a little thing, but it's a sign that God is with me. It's a mustard seed and I'm just going to put my faith with this mustard seed. And I know it's going to grow. Just a little thing. Some of you are the Gideons in your own family. See, I'm the only one saved in my family. Oh, you're the Gideon. You're the only one the Holy Spirit came upon. You're the Gideon. You know what you're going to do? God's going to put a trumpet to your lips and you're going to sound it. And you're going to see a group of Abiezers come in the line behind you and your family. You just got to believe that. God is taking us beyond regurgitation and taking us into the place of imitation. It's not about taking quotes from the sermon and putting it on Facebook, although that's fine. That's good. That's that's good. But it's about sinking into the depths of the life behind those words, saying, God, that's how I want to live. God's spirit is coming on you today. God's anointing is coming on you today. Father, I just pray for a release of your spirit. It would bring with it a release of understanding, a release of clarity, a release of peace, a release of healing. In Jesus' name, God, thank you that you're just moving so powerfully right now. I just see Abiezrites all over the place. Spirit of God is falling on you, just resting on you. Just receive. Just receive. Just take it right now, all of it. All of it. And I'll say this last thing. The Abiezrites, they were, Abiezer was the grandson of Manasseh, and the word Manasseh means to forget. Joseph had Manasseh, and he named him Manasseh because he said, God has caused me to forget my father's house and all of my affliction. Abiezer always comes out of Manasseh. That is, you can't begin to help. You can't take your place as a helper in the body of Christ until you forget. You've got to forget what's behind you. You've been hung up for so long on stuff that's behind you, stuff that happened to you back way back when, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe even one year ago, six months ago, but you're hanging on to it, and you can't be of any help in the body of Christ because you can't forget. God is saying, I'm bringing Abiezer forth out of Manasseh. I'm bringing help out of healing. And it's not, I'm not talking about going through an extended process of inner healing and therapy and you might need that too. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's a good thing. But I'm saying you got to start by making a decision. 
I am going to forget those things behind me and I'm going to reach for those things which are ahead and I'm going to press toward the mark, mark of the high calling that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. The Spirit of the Lord will do it in your heart. Just receive it right now. Just receive it. Receive it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for it, Jesus. There's a healing work of the Spirit going on right now. God is touching the deep places in your life. I talked about the brokenness of your vessel, and many of you are here, and you're very aware of the brokenness of your vessel, but you've been weeping and mourning about the brokenness of your vessel for so long. You know, I knew God was calling me to write in the year 2012. I knew he was calling me to write. I knew that that was a mandate over my life, that I was supposed to write a book, but for some reason the whole year long I couldn't write it. Going into the fall, I still hadn't written anything. In October, when we went to Korea, I was crying out to God that God would heal me of that, that God would set me free of that. I said, God, heal me because I was so damaged by the Ph.D. program that now I can't even write anymore because I'm damaged, I'm broken, and I need to be healed. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, you weren't damaged in that program. You were prepared in that program. And when that shift happened in my perspective, when I saw, wait a minute, I've been thinking about it wrong. I thought I was damaged. I thought I was destroyed. God said I was prepared. God wants you to know he has never allowed you to be destroyed. You say, but you don't know what happened to me. No, but God knows what happened to you. The breaking of your vessel was about the release of his fire. You weren't destroyed. You weren't broken. You were prepared. God has prepared you and he's put you in the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm telling you, this is your time to shine. It's your time to hold up the torch and be a light. It's your time to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's your time. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to be the torch that's lifted high. I'm not going to hang out with the shards of the vessel that lay broken on the ground. I'm going to be the torch. I'm not going to be the light that's hidden under a bowl. I'm going to be the lamp that's put on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. I'm going to allow his word to be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I'm going to hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. It's time for your light to shine. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's time to arise. Come on, in your heart, just arise. Arise. You've been dwelling at such a low place, and now God's causing you to dwell in a high place. He said, I, the Lord, dwell in a high and holy place, but also in the hearts of the broken and contrite, to revive the heart of the lowly. God is coming to revive the heart of the lowly, and he wants to take you out of the broken place and lift you up. He wants to lift you up out of the miry clay and set your foot upon a rock. Hallelujah. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness has covered the earth and deep darkness the people. But God said, I will cause my light to rise upon you and my glory will be seen over you and the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. Behold, they all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then will you look and be radiant and your face shall be covered with joy. It's time for the joy of the Lord to be your strength. I speak blessing and encouragement over you. I just, Father, I thank you that the power of your Holy Spirit is just resting, just hovering, just hovering, just hovering, just hovering over this house. In the name of the Lord Jesus, just let your spirit rest upon every heart, every mind. Just receive it fully.
Some of you are just receiving right now. Just receive it. Just receive it. Receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Receive that work of restoration and power. You know what's breaking off of you? Rejection's breaking off of you. Rejection. I just sense God's breaking rejection off of so many of you right now. Some of you feel rejected because you're scared that that you're going to be a failure. That no matter what you do, it's not going to be good enough. God's breaking that off of you right now. He's breaking it off you. He's breaking it off you. I just break that off your life right now. Some of you feel like I can do good things, but inside I'm internally flawed. Something's wrong with me. And even if I do something good, any day somebody's going to discover who I am. And they're going to reject me because I'm internally flawed. I just break that from over your life right now in Jesus' name. I don't care what kind of rejection it is. God wants you to know that you're accepted in the beloved. You're accepted today. And I just speak his word of acceptance over your heart, over your mind, over your life in Jesus' name. I bless you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I speak strength, encouragement, joy, and peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise.